0: he good morning, good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome in everybody to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor show presented by Mossberg. Firearms, little Jim Croce. I got a name kicking things off for us. Uh, one of my favorite songwriters, gone way too soon, died in a plane crash while he was only 30 years old. Uh, certainly his music still stands up, however. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. We've got a great show lined up for you. As uh turkey season is here, I'm headed to the deer lease this weekend, taking the kiddos uh, for Easter. The wife's gonna come too. I think we did that last year when quarantine was just getting going, and uh, the girls, the twins specifically have been begging Dad to take them to the deer lease and let them shoot Henry's rifle. So that's what we're gonna do when we get off the air today. And Dad, of course, is going to do a little calling, see if I can't strike up a conversation with a lonely Tom that is looking for love. Maybe sit in the blind with Henry, let him try to shoot his first hog. I don't know. The options are limitless. That's the wonderful thing about the great outdoors. Also, the largemouth spawn is about to be on in my neck of the woods. Caught a couple uh, three-pound males this past week, a nice fish. And they couldn't resist a 10-inch pumpkin seed uh, zoom worm. Uh, females should be right behind them as they were in about four feet of water. So looking at the calendar of when I caught a a 10 pounder out of that same place, the spawn should be here in like literally less than 10 days. So look for those big females to uh, start showing up on beds if they haven't already, uh, in North Texas anyway, I know South Texas is probably a little ahead of us. And then you folks up North, you all probably still have a little ways to go as some of y'all stuff is still frozen, but, uh, yeah. The crappie spawn right behind them. I mean, if you like chasing slabs, this is the best time of the year for that. And nothing beats a fried crappie taco, for my money anyway. What are we doing today? Well, we've got a good one lined up for you. So, you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos. Because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we'll be joined by Mark Oliva of the NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation. I recently, I'm not going to lie, I was a little ticked off about an article I saw in BHA's Backcountry Journal um, that was pushing the narrative that hunters should think about non-toxic shot. Okay, that's not a bad thing. But then you dive into who these authors are and find out one of them is completely anti-gun, Uh, I mean, as far as the Second Amendment is concerned, he doesn't think anyone should have the right to own an AR. So I was less than thrilled to see this author appear in uh, their publication, knowing that uh, he is a NRA card burning left winger. I mean, he even has, he's appeared in an article that says why I burned my NRA card. Anyway, uh, is his idea... That we should all be switching over to non-toxic shot for both uh, big game and birds. Is that a good thing? Mark will explain if that's a good or bad thing. And if it's even feasible from a uh, manufacturing standpoint, it might just be pie in the sky. Uh, What about for conservation dollars in action? How would this affect that? Would it price hunters out of of hunting altogether? Are non-toxic loads... As effective as traditional lead shot. We'll discuss all of that with Mark. And then at the end of the uh, hour, we'll be joined by Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms. We'll get into a little turkey hunting. uh, Maybe talk about a gun that we're going to give away in the near future. And what it's like from a manufacturer standpoint when it comes to HR-8. Which we will also talk about with Mark. Forgot to mention that. So HR-8, the universal Background check. There's a bunch of other crap in there that you might not be familiar with, but we'll dive into that as well. I've got a uh, a Mossberg giveaway for us today. I've got a cap and shirt that uh, Linda she sent me over a whole box of swag for you guys. So we'll do a Mossberg cap and shirt. We'll throw in a Lone Star Outdoors Show sticker. Just email the word Mossberg. That's Mossberg to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and we'll get you entered into today's giveaway. Let's knock out that quick break. When we come back, Mark Oliva of the NSSF joins us right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor show. He thinks about how
1: free he feels when the sea wind meets his face and how
0: the redfish bite on a cloudless night as the bass sounds softly played. Star night vision and thermal imaging has been helping hunters light up the night for over a decade now. I've been with them for quite some time. Back in the early days, thermal optics were pretty expensive. You might not realize it, though. The average guy can get into a thermal rifle scope these days very affordably. I've got the Thermion XP50. Absolutely love that scope. It's got a diverse color palette. Lots of options to choose from, whether you want white hot, uh, black hot, red hot, you name it. There's tons of options, literally. It's got internal recording as well, and it's got internal and external battery options. So you can hunt all night without having to worry about running out of batteries. You can find the Thermion XP50 as well as their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics right there at PulsarNV.com. Spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled, and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. Get up on the hood of my day. He's up on the toolbox, it don't matter. Gotcha. <laughs> He's taking to wear and stock shirts,
1: and his boots stay shine. Keeps that old truck neat as a pin. The picture gazes down from his visor at an empty dash where a spit cup should have been. Hey running, buddy, what'll you say to a 12?
0: Little Max Dalling bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. You know, I never played that little crapola, but uh, got your attention there for a second. You're like his cable off his rocker. Uh, Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mossberg Firearms, as well. Thanks to you for being here. As we are set to check in with the uh, Director of Public Affairs from the National Shooting Sports Foundation, But before we do that, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. These folks think a lot like you and I do. They're passionate about, of course, conservation, as well as protecting your rights as a hunter and educating the public on why what we do is necessary to maintain healthy wildlife populations. You can find us at safariclub.org. And now, uh, let's bring on our first guest today joining us from the National Shooting Sports Foundation headquarters. It is my pleasure to welcome Director of Public Affairs, Mark Oliva, to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Cable. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity. I appreciate the, the chance to talk to you and to, and to your listeners.
0: Absolutely. And it's funny, you know, we had this scheduled for over a month ago, and uh, you called, and, you know, at our scheduled time. And I was like living in a different world, man. It was frozen. It was void of power. And I was like, "Oh yeah, uh, we were supposed to tape an interview." Today. I was like, <laughs> "Things that you things that go by the wayside when you uh, are hit with a an epic snowmageddon storm like we were down here in Texas." A, a, a yeah, hunting. something something unheard of for
1: Texans. My wife is a Texan. I've done uh, I've done quite a bit of time there in Texas, so uh, visiting family and spending time hunting with friends. So I know it kind of put uh, just about the entire state uh, into a into a state of shock, if you will, you know, trying yeah. to figure out how they're going to survive, if, you know, a week or so without power and, and trying to stay warm.
0: We were, you know, kind of in between taking the kids sledding and then dealing with, oh, is our house going to flood, you know, from <laughs> by... So you go from having a good time to back to reality of, oh, yeah, we don't have power. We were filling up the bathtubs with water so we could flush toilets. I mean, it was insanity. Uh, but, you know, then I left my wife to deal with it, and I headed off to South Africa. So. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I
1: hear, it was, I was was a little warmer in South Africa at that time. So uh,
0: I, I found a, swim, a swimming pool over there to uh, <laughs> jump in for sure. Yeah, it,
1: it's uh, isn't that what we always do though? We're off uh, playing out in the woods like we team without a care again, leaving our wives at home to to keep the house running. So we we definitely all owe them a, a debt of gratitude.
0: I, I don't, I don't know how much longer she's gonna put up with it as far as me saying I have to go to work, and by that <laughs> I have to go to Africa for ten days. So. I think she's on to me finally.
1: My wife reminds me quite often. She said, You spend quite a bit of time in the woods, and I don't see you coming home with a lot of animals. She said, <laughs> she said, I think you sleep out there. I said, It happens sometimes. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, um, why don't you give us a, a brief description of what the uh, NSF is all about and what you do there?
1: yeah so we are the national shooting sports foundation is the firearm industry trade association Mm -hmm. trade association like any others just like your automakers have their trade association or any other manufacturing uh industry it just happens to be our product is firearms and ammunition Uh, and going along with that of course firearms and ammunition tend to be a bit of a lightning rod subject so uh in in nearly every congress and nearly every state uh, there are people who want to literally put our industry out of business. So we are uh, very active on fighting on behalf of our member companies uh, to make sure that they have, the possi- they have the ability to be able to manufacture the firearms and ammunition that uh, we enjoy to be able to use and to be able to exercise our second Amendment rights. And a lot of people always ask, you know, kind of what's the difference between NSSF and, and someone like the NRA? And we certainly work a lot on the same issues and, and we have a lot of the same concerns um, but really the dividing point is the gun counter. We work on everything really that gets that gun to the counter for you to have the ability to purchase that firearm. Uh, once it crosses that counter, uh, that's really where the NRA starts to take up for you. And they're concerned about your, your exercising your Second Amendment rights. They're a civil rights organization. And, uh, and we're focused on the manufacturing aspect of it. Obviously, we couldn't do what we do without the Second Amendment. And we're focused on making sure that people can You know, exercise their ability to to have that right, Um, but uh, you know that's kind of where the dividing point is. We're we're concerned about everything that is, including getting the bar stock to the manufacturer to to be able to produce the firearm, uh, to be able to keep that uh, moving through the supply chain to the gun store so you can buy it. And that that really kind of came into uh, a crystal clear focus here in 2020 when we had the pandemic shutdowns Mm -hmm. and. The uh, manufacturers uh, were being affected by these uh, stay-at-home orders and these shutdown orders. And we worked very closely with the Department of Homeland Security uh, and uh, and the individual states to make sure that manufacturing, uh, distribution, and retailers were able to stay open uh, because it is an essential service. If you don't have the ability to exercise your Second Amendment right, you're being denied your rights. So there's, you know, the, a lot of our manufacturers have government contracts that they have to be able to, to deliver upon, and uh, as well as we try to remind a lot of people, we reminded lawmakers, the majority of your local law enforcement uh, really rely on your local retailers for their firearms and their ammunition needs, uh, unless you're in a big city that has a contract. Uh, with a manufacturer to provide that, uh, it's it's really going to be incumbent upon them to be able to go to their local manufacturer, to go to the local retailer and be able to to purchase uh, what they need to be able to keep your community safe. And then beyond that, of course, your ability to be able to purchase a firearm. We saw that in in record numbers last year, 21 million background checks for the sale of a gun in 2020. And we estimate that 40% of those people based on our retailer surveys. 40% were buying a gun for the very first time. And that comes out to over 8.4 million people bought a gun for the first time last year. Hmm.
0: Well, we we welcome all of the new gun owners into the fold. Uh, Now we just need them to realize who they voted for and what they're trying to do to the second amendment. And I I really, when I first reached out to you, HR eight wasn't even on the radar yet. I mean, we knew that they had an anti-gun agenda. So, since I have you, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, but that's not really why I wanted to have you on originally. You talked about these manufacturers, and I recently had on Justin Nazaroff. He's the uh, CEO of Phoenix Ammunition. And uh, he drew a lot of heat from the um, anti-gun crowd. And, and I guess even a few maybe Democrats who own guns. Um, and there mm-hmm. certainly are many. But he put that disclaimer on his website. You know, First thing, when you go to phoenixammunition.com, did you vote for Joe Biden? And if you say yes, it redirects you to the Joe Biden-Harris uh, gun plan. And he's one of those people who, correct me if I'm wrong, but if Biden, if the administration has it their way, I mean, companies like Phoenix Ammunition would go out of business because they wouldn't be able to sell ammunition online anymore.
1: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And And President Biden campaigned on this uh in the campaign he said he would repeal if allowed he would repeal the protection of lawful commerce and arms act and that's the law that uh forbids frivolous lawsuits from being brought against uh, firearm and ammunition manufacturers Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean manufacturers can't be sued if if a manufacturer makes a defective product uh if it's not working correctly if there's if there is uh, abuse uh, by a board of a, of a company that's a publicly traded company or, or by the owner of a company that is, you know, they're, they're acting in a nefarious way. Certainly they're going to be, uh, you know, uh, held liable for those, uh, for those misdeeds or any kind of this uh, any kind of uh, defects in the manufacturing. Uh, what the protection of lawful commerce and arms act does is it prevents people from uh, holding uh, Mark's gun manufacturer uh, for uh for the responsibility of a crime committed by a third party of which they're not associated. So when we start to look at some of these truly heinous crimes that have been committed, and and we see that, you know, there in Texas with the Sutherland Springs uh, murders, uh, that would mean that, you know, that community can't come back and sue that manufacturer uh, who that murder went and bought that firearm uh, and he committed those crimes. He's the one responsible for those crimes, not the manufacturer. It's the same way of saying, uh you know if if the fire manufacturers are responsible for that then this then that makes Ford no less responsible for uh the deaths caused by drunk drivers and and that's really what it comes down to uh the fire manufacturers are making a lawful product they're selling it in a regulated manner in accordance with all federal state and local laws uh and and they're making sure that they're doing their part uh what cannot happen is you know you have activist lawyers activist mayors and governors who are going to literally bankrupt the industry through frivolous lawsuits. And they, they really don't care about the end results. What they care about is the uh, tying the industry up in the courts and, and bleeding them dry through money uh, through the that they're going to spend on all those legal fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act stops. Uh, President Biden said he'd repeal that. And, and that's, a, that's a very real, and that is a very uh, potent threat to the industry. And it's not just a threat to the industry, it's a threat to the end user, too, because if he's able to put the manufacturers out of business, again, our manufacturers also have those government contracts, he's, he's jeopardizing our ability to to provide the arms that our military needs uh, for uh, safety and security of our nation, for our law enforcement to, to provide uh, safety in our communities, and for you to exercise your Second Amendment rights, and that really what it comes down to at the end of the day. It's a they're trying to find ways to choke off your ability to own a gun, and uh, and the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is, is absolutely critical to the manufacturers that we're able to do business in an unencumbered way without being attacked by activist lawyers
0: right right and and i guess going back to that uh phoenix ammunition deal and any online ammunition distributor that uh would prevent them from doing commerce over the internet correct?
1: yeah the part of uh, president biden's proposals would be to uh restrict the ability for people to sell ammunition uh through online services mm-hmm. and he would he proposes that all ammunition be bought in a face-to-face transaction and they're actually movements in in states and in the federal government and in Congress. They're looking at uh, proposing bills that would make it so you had to actually pass a background check for uh, the purchase of ammunition. So what we're looking at now is uh, they want to completely Encumber the background check system, which is which is barely strained. We saw that in, in 2020 with all those background checks, record number of background checks. Uh, the FBI had a very difficult time trying to keep up with that.
0: Hell, it so, takes like a year to get a suppressor these days. I, I feel yeah. so lucky. I got mine in six months. I couldn't believe it. I was doing backwards. You, you're a record breaker probably. Among <laughs> but you're right. I mean, so when they
1: start talking about they want to add everything to a background check, they're also not talking about adding resources. And as the industry we've actually gone in to to Congress and said, listen, the FBI and the ATF, they need greater resources to be able to do the job that they need to do to make those background check systems work the way they're intended to work. Mm -hmm. And when the industry, uh, the ATF's industry inspectors are are able to go out and and inspect, we wanna make sure that they have the adequate resources so that our manufacturers and our retailers can continue to do business. Um, And what they're trying to talk about is, is taking these laws that help the industry stay within the regulations uh, and they want to weaponize those against the industry. And it's a scary measure.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I want to get into that in more detail and specifically hit on the uh, the piece in BHA's Backcountry Journal. Written by known anti-Second Amendment activist Jan Dizzard. Uh We'll do those things after the break. That segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders, Blinds, and Barbecue Pits. I've got one. I told you last week, just did a smoked, a whole smoked backstrap on that All Seasons uh, barbecue pit. Mm, Man, you talk about a quiet dinner at the Smith house. Nobody was talking because everyone was just shoveling it in their mouth as fast as they could. It was that good. Check it out. You can find All Seasons entire lineup at allseasonsfeeders.com. And we'll be right back with more from Mark Hollibach of the NSSF on SCI's Lone Star Outpution.
1: He's a one
0: who likes
1: all our pretty songs to sing along likes to shoot his gun You don't know what it means You don't know what it means To someone
0: Whether you're headed to the lake for crappie, the coast for redfish, or trying to put your tag on that big gobbler this spring, don't let your truck tank your next trip. Third Coast Diesels does it all. From maintenance to repairs to full diesel rebuilds, any accessory on any truck, doesn't matter. They also do lifts, wheels, tires, hell, you name it. Third Coast Diesel does it. Call David Boone at 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call chat at 830 776 3605. Hi, this is Fred Eichler with Easton Bow Hunting and Predator Nations. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. You don't like my music, you don't like my song. Say you want a party, say you want a rock and roll. But that carbon copy music don't mean it down to me. Hank Williams would make
1: it now. And that's
0: that's the music of 1100 Springs bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you as always. Thank you so much for being here. This segment of the presentation brought to you by First Light in the new Spectre hardwoods. Well, I'm going to call it a hardwoods pattern because uh, that's where I like to wear it. But Spectre is the latest camo pattern from First Light, brand spanking new. And you can order your favorite First Light pieces now available in Spectre right there at firstlight.com. With that being said, let's dive back into our conversation with the NSSFs. Director of Public Affairs, Mark Oliva. I originally wanted to visit with you, and this was after I became pretty pissed off about a piece I saw in the winter 2020 issue of uh, Backcountry Hunters, um, their Backcountry uh, Journal. It was titled Leading on Lead, and the piece focused on hunters seemingly needing to police themselves and try to transition to non-toxic shot across the board. Okay, you know, I think there's validity to that. We should be cognizant and in places where it's necessary, um, use non-toxic shot. No no duck hunter has a problem using steel shot or bismuth or what you know, name your pick. Pick um, whatever it is that you want to use as long as it's not lead shot. We know that that's terrible for waterfowl. Um, I don't believe that that is the same for lead rifle bullets, uh, but the author of this piece, the co-author's name's uh, Jan Dizzard. This guy is anti-gun. He is pro-lead uh, shot ban across the board. I don't know why BHA would poke uh, would would publish something he wrote. Um, really pissed me off. I mean, he's in featured in a piece titled "I Burned My NRA Card." So this dude, you know, I don't see why. You know, coming from he says he's a hunter, right? I just don't see how. Uh, hunters ad- adopt that mentality when where's the you know where's the sticking point where where we if we give an inch they're going to take a mile you know they're going to kick the door down if we let them put their foot in it and uh, and so I, I don't have any use for for that mentality whatsoever but it it got me thinking at the very least about lead shot and what that would mean for this industry Um, So let's discuss that the the pros and cons. First of all, price point, um, non-toxic loads are, you know, 20, 30% more expensive than traditional lead shot.
1: Yeah yeah so when we start looking at it in the industry's perspective on this is should always be the individual hunter's decision we understand that you know you can't use any any uh, lead shot in in waterfowl hunting and that's the law and, and we're going to make you know we want everyone to follow the law if you don't follow the law you're going to be held accountable by that game warning. and we
0: all should want that we we know yeah. that it's bad for waterfowl
1: yeah so so we have you know but I think it's important to understand is that you know less than five percent of all of all ammunition manufacturing is alternative ammunition, and a lot of that is because of what you're just talking about is because of the price point of it. It is more expensive. It it takes it takes a uh, it takes a different process and it takes different uh, different metals and alloys to be able to make those. Um, bottom line is they're not opening any new copper mines in the United States to be able to make more copper ammunition. It is more expensive. Um, the manufacturers have have submitted new formularies to the ATF for approval, so that those formularies can be approved for sporting purpose ammunition. And those formularies have been sitting with the ATF for over a decade. They haven't moved on them. Um, so there really is not an incentive for the manufacturers to continue to explore new formularies for uh, for alternative ammunitions when that money is not going to be. Uh, recouped and reinvested in, in being able to provide new alternatives of ammunition. Mm-hmm. But that price point really is a, a difficult thing. Um, so when we start looking at you know your average you know gun owner who wants to be able to go out and shoot, um, it, it starts to become an issue where it could be a prohibiting item. It could be something that uh, makes that hunter start to scale back as much time as they're gonna spend on the range to make sure that they're gonna be an accurate shot when they go out and shoot. Uh, it's going to make them think twice about maybe I maybe I only take one hunting trip this year instead of the three that I normally take because I don't want to be spending
0: as much on ammunition. It's less money for Pittman-Robertson.
1: And that's exactly what it comes down to. So when we start to look at the Pittman-Robertson dollars that go out, um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife just put out a press release uh, about two weeks ago. I said they had written a check of over one billion dollars to send to the states through the Pittman-Robertson dollars. That was 121 million dollars, and it was higher than it was uh, in 2019 mm-hmm. because we had so much more gun buying and ammunition buying. And obviously, everyone right now knows it's very difficult to find ammunition. Um, but I, you know, we start to try and put this into perspective. You know, when I go hunting, and um, you know, I take my .308 six and I zero my rifle and check to make sure everything's good. I use three, let's say maybe even five rounds to verify my zero. Mm -hmm. And then I know I'm I'm pretty much good. Um, I'll use one, let's say maybe even two shots to make sure that I've got that deer down. Uh, And and then I can put that box of ammunition away for the year. Um, And that box of ammunition of 20 rounds could last me two, three years. Uh, But when I go to the range and I start to just play around with my AR-15 and I play around with a handgun, I'm starting with hundred rounds for both frames uh, just off the bat. That, that's just an hour's worth of fun. Right. Right. Uh, so,
0: well, you don't, it, it's fun, but it's also. necessary. It's training. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's,
1: it's making sure that my skills stay sharp and that I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, a, a responsible and cognizant recreational shooter. Uh, When you go to the sporting clays range, you're going to shoot an entire sporting clays course. You're going to burn through 100 rounds of ammunition. Um, So you start to look at those numbers and you start to really realize that it's the recreational shooter who's putting the most money into it. And we estimate that 70 percent of the money that's going into Pitt and Robertson dollars is tied to recreational shooting and not necessarily. I didn't didn't realize it was that. So, yeah. So when we start to look at uh, some of these measures to limit uh, the use of traditional ammunition, uh, then it starts to become a real, uh, a real impact on uh, wildlife conservation because these are the dollars literally that are being spent to not just save the animals that we love to hunt, not just you know bring back Rocky Mountain elk and bring back the white-tailed deer and the wild turkey, and, but it also is the money that has saved the bald eagle. And it's also the money that's saving you know firms. It's 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 providing conservation areas for uh, for wildlife habitat. Uh, and animals that we may never hunt. It's helping to save frogs and newts and raptors and everything else that that we may never hunt, but is necessary for a balanced ecosystem and for wildlife to be able to thrive across America. We have an abundant wildlife uh, spectrum here in in America. And it's only because we have had conservation minded uh, focus, especially through our hunters and and through the fire manufacturer in 1937, they had the foresight to be able to place that tax 10 and 11% tax on farms and ammunition to be able yeah. to uh, perpetuate wildlife for the future. And we have wildlife in numbers now that they could have never have dreamed of in 1937 because of the rampant market hunting and, and the poaching that was happening at the time. But they realized they needed to keep this safeguarded. America would be a much, much different place if they didn't have the foresight then to do that.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's why it pisses me off when I see a quote, you know, pro hunting, outlet, um, publishing, stuff like that.
1: It, it, it's, it's a difficult and emotional issue for a lot of people. And that's, and that's why we've always said it should be left to the individual hunter. We understand that some hunters may choose to shoot alternative ammunition. And let's, let's be honest, we become very particular to what type of round we're going to shoot through whichever rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 6.5 Creedmoor rifle that I shoot, suppressed rifle, I will only shoot one very specific uh, manufacturers round through that through that that rifle. I know exactly how it's going to perform. I know exactly what it's going to do, and I know that I'm going to get reliability out of that every time. I shoot a different manufacturer's ammunition through my odd 6 bolt action rifle, and I know exactly what that round is going to do each and every time. And and I, I'm very loyal to that. When I go shoot, you know, you know, sporting clays, or I shoot, you know, recreationally skeet and targets, you know, skeet and skeet uh, and trap shooting. I'll I'll probably stick to, you know, one of three major manufacturers because I I know they're all going to be pretty reliable. Um, But when I waterfowl hunt, I stick to one manufacturer. I know exactly what that that deal ammunition is going to do. So we all tend to become a little bit loyal to uh, what we know is going to work. And because we've seen the results and we want to repeat those same results time and again, we don't want to, we don't want something to go sideways when we're out in a hunting situation. Um, But while you know, the, while the advantages have come forward, and, and the performance of alternative ammunition and copper rounds has become so much better over the past ten years, the it is still pretty limited. But it also, again, I know exactly what that lead core ammunition to my thirty yacht six or my lead core ammunition that's going to go through my 65 Creedmoor is going ultimately
0: to ultimately go through a deer and how it's going to perform. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I know how that I know how that that ballistic tip bullet's going to perform when I when I shoot a deer with it. I know exactly yeah. what it's going to do and and that's exactly why I want to shoot that particular round. Um so it is um it is you know it should be left to the individual hunter. Uh, to- I do
0: shoot a uh, steel shot at dove and I've I mean I I've, I've basically figured out that with an 8-ounce bird, um steel shot, if you hit it, it doesn't matter what you hit it with, it's going to kill it. So if it's a dollar more, that doesn't really bother me. But when you start talking about it's $10 more or, you know, or for yeah. the average hunter, you know, if he wants to buy a case, well, okay. It starts that- to add up very quickly. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and that's our
1: concern is that, is that some people are using this as a means they're, and they're saying, listen, it's, it's better for the environment, but, but let's be honest about this. Uh, we, we manage wildlife populations for populations. We don't manage it for in you know, individual effects on the animal. And and if we're gonna sit back and say, listen, uh, we can't use lead ammunition because you may have a piece of lead shot that may end up in a dove that you shot and it flies off and you never recover it. Um, And and that may be getting eaten by a raptor somewhere and it may ingest that piece of lead. Now, none of us really wanna see a a sick bald eagle. That's not what we're talking about here, but we manage for population, right? right? So if you're talking about saying, listen, we can't have lead ammunition because it might make one sick eagle, well, now you've just made the argument that we need to ban all hunting because if you're causing you know harm to one individual animal, well, that's what hunting does. You, you're taking right. the life of that animal. You're harvesting that animal. So it's it's kind of counterintuitive when we start to look at it that way. But again, the biologists will tell you that they manage for population levels. They manage for for healthy levels, and that includes you know net loss when when you're shooting a bird and you're not able to recover that, or you shoot a deer. And let's be honest, if you've been hunting long enough, somewhere along the line, you're gonna come across a time where you have are not able to recover that animal. And, it, and it's it's heartbreaking to all of us, uh, but it happens. And and that's that's actually built into the models for uh, wildlife conservation and what the what the bag limits are and the tag limits are for mm-hmm. every date. So um, so it's a little bit disingenuous when we start to say, well, we need to do this because it's it's better right. for the animal. Well, it's so it it's built into the population that. models.
0: But it sucks to say, oh, okay, well, you know, a couple bald eagles died because they ingested a piece of lead that was left in an elk carcass, right? Yeah. Um, in the gut pile. And they ate that and they died. Okay. That's, that's really unfortunate. But how many bald evil eagles were saved with all of those Pittman Robertson dollars, right? That's the big yeah. picture. And that's why when I see people within our own ranks advocating that we should be banning or all use switching over to... Lead shot. I'm like, doesn't make any sense. You're you're shooting your own foot off.
1: Yeah, so it becomes it becomes a, an individual decision for that for that hunter,
0: yeah.
1: um, and that's where we think it should be left to. Absolutely, um, we think the market will decide that. Um, is it practical? I mean, listen, when I shoot a deer, most of the time where where I hunt at, it's it's not too far out of a suburban area. Chances are, I can put that deer in a sled or or in a in a, in a rack, and I can drag it out somewhere. Uh, to my car, I could probably pull that animal out whole without gutting it in the field, and I can gut that animal uh, in in a in a facility somewhere, or I can do that where I can contain everything. But was, we know that's not practical when you're doing when you're hunting an animal as big as an elk, and, and right. you need to have that gut pile left out there in the in the middle of the woods. Well, there's other ways of dealing with this too. You can you can simply bury that gut pile. Uh, that, that's an effective way to make sure you know, eagles aren't going to be eating carrion. That's going to have any kind of lead fragment in it. Um, you know, last time I checked, you know, while well, they may eat carrion, they don't dig for it. So, um, you know, that's an effective way for individual hunters who are concerned about those kind of uh, effects to be able to, you know, to their part on an individual level to make sure that they're being responsible at that point. And, and we always get this question about, you know, human consumption of lead. Um, well, we've been hunting uh, wildlife in North America for what, 400 years with lead ammunition. And, and we haven't had cases of hunters dying because of lead poisoning uh, right. because of this. And it's simple. I mean, we, we know this one, we're butchering the animals that we're that we're harvesting. Uh, you know, you hit that animal and you hit it in a muscle group. Um, well, then you're going to cut around that muscle group because that, all that's going to be a, a loss because of uh, bloodshot uh, meat anyway. So you start to, you know, any, anything around the wound channel, you can you can simply cut it out of the meat and make sure that it's not in there uh when i hunt birds let's be honest when we are pheasant uh you know and, and i breast out that pheasant and i pull out the legs and everything else um you know we're rolling that meat in our, in our hands to make sure we're pulling out any last bit of lead shot
0: my eight-year-old son found his first uh piece of bird shot in some sandhill crane the other day yeah steel shot because we were crane hunting so it was crane actually hunting. bb yeah. it was a bb um so those big birds, you got to hit them with something big. You got to hit them
1: hard. Yeah. So it was. Um, so there's there's things that you know we're obviously going to be doing on our end, and we should be doing to make sure that we're going to keep our families healthy. But you know, the CDC actually studied this back in 2008 in North Dakota, and they talked to, they took blood samples from hunters and they took blood samples from the ambient population around those hunters, so all those non hunters as well, uh, and they actually found that uh, people who were consuming animals that were harvested with lead ammunition actually had lower instances. Of lead in their body than people in the ambient community around them. Hmm. Um, so, it, it, and I mean, let's be honest, we're exposed to lead all around us. We want to make sure we reduce that exposure to lead as much as possible. Uh, but, you know, it is, it is not a case of, of, of hunters, you know, poisoning themselves. Uh, and it's because, we, you know, by and large, we're, we've learned good ways to make sure that we are uh, you know, safely and effectively uh, cleaning those animals and making sure that we're not eating that, uh, that lead in that let any kind of fragment of that lead ammunition. Right.
0: Right. What about performance when it comes to um, let's, let's keep it at rifle bullets because yeah, um, there's so much gray about, about birdshot because there are situations where we know, like we've talked about with ducks where, yeah, it's necessary cranes. Like my son just found that steel pellet the other day. Um, But with rifle cartridges, are the non-toxic loads as effective at killing as traditional lead shot?
1: Uh, maybe you want to take on a less uh, radioactive topic and maybe we can debate 9mm versus
0: forty-five.
1: <laughs> um, I think you're going to find this is going to run the spectrum. You're going to find everyone with an opinion and everyone's
0: believes that their opinions. What's is- your opinion is the only important uh, thing right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what
1: you've seen is actually, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, was uh, the performance of alternative ammunition really has advanced very well over probably the past decade. Uh, you know, if you look back a decade ago, I think there were a lot of concerns that you know you were having uh, ammunition that just was was not performing well. It was not mushrooming the way it was supposed to. It was you know passing through. It was you know you know monolithic, uh, you know hard copper ammunition was was just pushing through. And let's be and We start to look at just a very basic level. Our our lead ammunition is jacketed with copper for a reason. And it's because it's a harder metal, and it, uh, and it and it makes sure that that lead deforms at a at a precise rate when it's passing through that target. Um, I think that, you know, the performance that we've seen now out of alternative ammunition really has come leaps and bounds uh, that they've found ways to make sure that that, uh, that, that solid monolithic copper uh, bullet is going to be able to expand and, at a predictable rate and it's going to be able to do what it needs to do. But that really why is kind of what I touched on earlier is I'm going to shoot a very specific round through my, you know, 30-06, a very specific round through my 6.5 Creedmoor or whatever other firearm I'm going to be using because I know exactly how that bullet's going to perform when it hits the target. And I think that's what you're also finding with people who start to become very loyal to, uh, you know, alternative ammunition, whether they're shooting copper ammunition or they want to shoot bismuth through their shotgun. They've become believers in how that's going to perform and they know it's going to perform consistently. Uh, and so that that's what they, they want to use and they might be willing to spend a couple extra bucks to do that. And they should have that alternative. They should have that option to be able to do it. We just don't believe that it should be mandated because again, we see a lot of times these mandates really are just, just backdoor ways
0: to be able to start to price people out of the market. Mm-hmm. We, we like saw You said out. 5% of ammunition yeah. manufactured is non-toxic. Only Yeah, months. it's it's and that includes all your waterfowl ammunition. So I mean that's, that's, a, that's incredible. of it. So So these manufacturers can't just flip a switch overnight and say okay, now we're going to go to non-toxic. I mean Yeah, so
1: it, you know, it's it's interesting <laughs> I think people are starting to see that, you know, our manufacturers and the ammunition manufacturers are are you know, really stretched pretty thin. Uh you know, we have a few major manufacturers. There's there's quite a few smaller manufacturers. Uh but 2020 really showed us that, you know, it's you know, the, the days of walking into your local gun shop or even your big box retailer and seeing shelves stacked with ammunition uh, it may be a quaint memory for some time uh, that we mm-hmm. been dealing with. Um, you know, Jason Hornady from Hornady Ammunition and put out a video earlier this year and he, and he said that they made 30 percent more ammunition in 2020 than they did in 2019. Uh, Jason Vanderbrink, the CEO of Federal Premium, which of course is your entire federal ammunition uh, family, which now includes Remington ammunition, uh, said that they made more ammunition, it's more hunting ammunition in 2020 than they ever had in any previous year. Mm-hmm. And they're cranking it out as fast as they can. But that's, that's you know, they're trying to meet all the common calibers. They're trying to meet everybody's handgun needs. They're trying to meet shotgun needs and rifle needs.
0: Uh, Kent it- Cartridge is a sponsor of ours. And I was talking with Jeff Barry over there, and he said the same thing, like, they're making it faster than they ever have they're making more than they ever have yeah they can't keep it on shelves yeah
1: it is literally if it's being made today it's going to be in a box and on a pallet and out the door tomorrow mm-hmm. and, and and we all know it, as soon as it hits the shelf it is going to be gone there's usually a line in front of a lot of these retailers waiting for the store to come open to see you know what they're able to get so it's, get
0: their it's two boxes
1: yeah get their two boxes and <laughs> and and i was actually surprised i went to the range this past week i took my brother with me and then you know, we were going to shoot some ars and we we're going to shoot some handguns and and i was like hey can i get 100 rounds for you know each frame that we're going to shoot and he was like yep and i was like we're not limited to 50 we? always like no we'll, we'll you know we'll be able to meet your needs at the local range so um but yeah, I mean, so when you start looking at it, I mean, even the production for, for traditional ammunition is very difficult. And, and people are like, well, why can't we get more ammunition? Well, these manufacturers don't have an extra facility in the backyard that they can go just cut the shrink wrap off of and go flip the lights on and everything's going to be good. Right. And, and the ability to be able to expand to meet that need has to be met in a responsible way you know, that they're going to be able to fiscally survive. Uh, the years where it may not be such a great demand. Let's be honest. I mean, 2020 was a year unlike any other. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, will we still be matching, you know, 21 million background checks for the sale of a gun at the end of 2021? I can't tell you. But if I sat here and told you in January, February, even March of 2020 that, hey, we're going to have 21 million background checks, you'd have said, Mark, you're insane. And you'd have been right to say that. But we did that. and And obviously we're dealing with some of the effects of that now. We're still trying, we're still seeing very high, Rates of background checks for the sale of guns, and and obviously the corresponding with that is the sale of ammunition. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something that's going to be difficult, but but we also know that you know it's not like these manufacturers can just you know dig a hole and start building a new a new facility. That takes time, capital, it takes investment, and they need to make sure that that's going to be able to pay off. Mm-hmm. If we look back a little bit into history. And in, uh, in 2016 was the previous record for selling guns. And that was 15.7 million background checks. When that kind of plateaued off, and again, when it plateaued off, it was still higher than it was, you know, three or four years before that. Um, a lot of the smaller manufacturers had a very difficult time because they, they had become over leveraged. And, and right. trying, they were spending so much money being able to try and keep up with the surge of gun buying that they weren't able to survive some of those lean years. And
0: so, uh, a lot think, of the AR-specific um, companies, yeah, it, it yeah, I think maybe not I, manufacturers of actual the guns themselves, but you know, parts and upgrades yeah. and stuff like that. A lot of them went under.
1: Yeah, a good buddy of mine uh, turned barrels for Warsport in North Carolina, and Warsport made a nice little rifle. I mean, it was just a, it's just a snappy little rifle, and and they were good, uh, but they were a small manufacturer, and when the downturn came, they weren't able to survive, and the, and the company was was sold off um uh, so it, it becomes it, it becomes one of those things I think a lot of manufacturers have have learned the lessons of what we saw in 2017 and even into 2018 so they're making sure that they can make those financial decisions that are going to make sure that they survive the down years because any any manufacturer is going to sit there in any industry is going say listen we may have a great year this year but next year may not be as good and you know three or four years may be a great year but predicting what's going to happen between now and then is very difficult to do so I think what you're seeing is trying them trying to make very responsible decisions to be able to meet that demand and make sure that yeah. demand is going to be there over time. Again, eight and a half million new gun owners, you know, would love to believe that every single one of them is going to be activated and it's going to get out there to the range every week. Ranges are filled and classes are filled and people are learning to shoot. But it really becomes incumbent upon us uh, as individual gun owners and, and as hunters to make sure that we are inviting those people to come out and shoot and, and to become involved with what it means to be part of the shooting sports culture.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just like taking a new person hunting. Despite what uh Matt Reynella said recently. I don't know if y'all saw that article, but geez. Wow. Um you know what? We do need to take a quick break, but um I would like to get back into HR8. I didn't know if we'd have time. Looks like we will have time for a uh an abbreviated segment. Mark, are you cool to uh, stick around for a few more minutes? Yeah, glad to, please. Excellent. And that segment brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Vortex Wear Spring lineup can find their entire line of shirts, caps, uh, shorts, jackets, hoodies, all of it right there at VortexOptics.com. And here's the even better part. You'll save 20% off your entire order of Vortex swag. That's any Vortex Optics apparel when you use my promo code LONESTAR20 at checkout. Vortex, the force of optics. We continue the conversation with Mark Oliva There's after the break on SCI's Lone Star died. Outdoor Show. But you swear it's not the one Where'd you hide the body? Where'd you
2: get the
1: gun? Where'd you hide the
0: body? Where'd you get the gun? There's something nostalgic about the old-timey General Store, and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwaith, Texas at the Mills County General Store. They're licensed FFL with rifle, pistols, and shotguns, ammo, gun accessories, hunting accessories, deer, corn, and attractants, sporting goods. They've got a wide array of knives to choose from, plus insulated apparel for both work and camo for hunting season, fishing supplies. They've got foods like anchor tea, grass-fed beef, Dublin sodas, gourmet sauces, and a whole lot more. Also, Ace Hardware. From wall to wall, they have it all. Check it out. The Mills County General Store right there in Goldwaite, Texas.
1: the here against a shotgun shell Dark was the night, cold was the ground I could barely make out the song Of the ghost repeater singing hallelujah His truth is marching on
0: Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks for dropping by today. As we are visiting with uh, the National Shooting Sports Foundation's Mark Oliva, but before we get back into our conversation, uh, I think we're going to get back into H.R. 8, uh, by the way, but before we do that, this segment brought to you by Big and Jay. They've got a full lineup of whitetail attractants like the to die for which uh as i've mentioned is how i patterned the buck that henry and i killed thanksgiving weekend nice 11 pointer he didn't really care for feeders but a little hand feeding oh uh, yeah the big boys sometimes screw up come into that which he did and he died to die for you can find it at bigandj.com uh, let's pick it back up with mark oliva of the nssf as far as hr8 what I mean, it, there's a lot of stuff in there, um, <laughs> but and, and one of them that stood out to me, and, and um, you might have more information on it than than I do, but SCI sent out their press release the other day, and and it's and it was from Ben Cassidy who who jumps on here from time to time. Yeah, Ben's a said, really good guy. Yeah, I love him. Uh, but I did not know that it said you won't in within that bill, um, you won't be able to check a gun on an airline. Which, yeah, um, there's a
1: lot of the devils really are in the details on this. On this like bill.
0: that means okay, can't fly to Montana with a rifle, can't go to Canada, can't go anywhere. Nowhere, domestic, international, doesn't matter. No, yeah. that that would cripple the hunting industry on because yeah. guys spend thousands of dollars on their guns and optics, and then yeah. now you can't travel with them. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's the devils really are in the details on this bill, and and it, and you the word universal background check sounds really nice on a billboard. Right. Um, but uh, our first sticking point uh, as the industry with this bill is that it allows for uh, the creation of a national firearms registry. So let's talk about what that actually means. That means that if you exercise your right to, to keep and bear arms, to buy whatever that purpose is, any lawful purpose where you decide you needed that for self-defense, you want that for recreational target shooting, or you want a new hunting rifle or a new hunting shotgun. That means you just got put on a government watch list. So what other right that is protected by the Constitution are you going to be put on a government watch list for exercising? And that's what they're talking about, that you will be put on a watch list. And, and let's be honest, the first step toward confiscation is always a registry. So if they know exactly where that gun is, cradle to grave, and that's what they're talking about. Uh, they want to uh, they want to be able to track that the whole time and that means they 're going to track you as well as the gun and that becomes a very scary and very orwellian way of being able to exercise your rights and at that point it 's not right you are being given a privilege by your government which is going to uh, watch you through a nanny system um, for our retailers we have some of the some more, some other issues some of the other folks haven't looked at, but we have to look at it from a retailer's perspective. And some of those are, are become, uh, you know, it, it becomes very difficult. So if you're, uh, Mark's a retailer and he's got his friend, you know, he's got two people that come in to want to sell a gun on a person to person sale, but it has to be facilitated through a background through the, the federal firearms licensee. Um, so, you know, person A wants to sell the gun to person B Person B comes up as a prohibited person on the list, and the the FBI will always give you one of three responses, proceed, delay, or deny. It won't ever tell you why. Uh, So so person B comes up as deny. I can't transfer the firearm to person B. Well, okay, let me give the gun back to person A, but before I give this gun back to person A, I just want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing, and I I run a background check on person A. Person A comes back as a deny as well. Well, now what am I supposed to do? If you're the retailer, you don't have law enforcement authority. You can't seize a gun. Right. But you also can't pass that gun to somebody who comes up as a prohibited individual because you're breaking the law. Wow! So there's no relief for what's supposed to happen with that. The way the law is written, too, is it tells it, it runs exactly counter to how federal regulations work with the ATF. So every time a firearm comes into an FFL, they have to log that into their what they call a and d book, the acquisitions and dispositions book. So it has to be put into the acquisitions uh, column. Okay, I got this gun in, and now it's under my custody. And then when I sell that gun, that gun is now disposed of and, and it's under disposition and it's left the store. Um, what the law is saying is don't do that, run the background checks first and then log it in. Well, that's going to put you counter to what the ATF is inspecting. And now you're going to be uh, running a file of ATF regulations. So you could possibly lose your license because you're trying to follow the law, which is counter to the regulation. So the devil's really are in the details on this. And, and it's, and, uh, but I think the biggest thing for people to understand at the end of the day is that if this is passed, you have just been put on a national watch list registry and, and they're, that's going to be the first step to them coming through and saying, we're going to take this gun from you. You don't need it anymore. We're watching that happen in real time with our neighbors to the North in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have never met, uh, a Canadian or an Australian who is thrilled about their current situation. I mean, these guys, and I've had, a. uh, uh one guy from social media uh, who does a lot of predator hunting in Australia and he kills a lot of foxes, um, he has to hunt them with, a, with an over-under. Can't use a semi-automatic, doesn't have a rifle. He uses an over-under shotgun only for his predator hunting. And, I mean, he's like, well, it's the only thing that we're allowed to have. Like, can't have a, you can't have three shots, can't have a semi-auto. Uh, yeah, I think the I think the key words you just
1: said there was allowed. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's now it's the ability for you as an American is to to keep and bear arms isn't an allowance from your government. Mm-hmm. It's a right, and, and you don't have to justify your rights. That it's pre-existing. Your Creator gave you that right when you were born as a law-abiding citizen. You can exercise that at your will. You can choose not to exercise that. That's that's your personal prerogative. Mm-hmm. But it is your right and that's not something for the government to dole out as they
0: see fit and and to yeah. put conditions upon that well as it stands it's currently i think in the senate's hands at this point and, uh... it is yeah it's, it's in the senate's hands
1: uh, and Senate majority leader chuck schumer has, has been in, in favor of this he's he's wanted this and uh and he said that he will at least put it up for a procedural vote so that's kind of a test vote before it starts to kind of move now next week um is supposed to be a hearing on uh, gun control. And there's no bill attached to it. Uh, It's going to kind of be an airing of grievances, if you will. It'll be a chance for uh, every member of that committee to be able to talk about their particular gun control bill and then to be able to hear from witnesses about the need for gun control or to hear from counter witnesses to say why gun control ideas are, are a very poor idea for this nation to adopt. So, it'll definitely be interesting but it's something that every gun owner every voter needs to pay attention to and and to make sure that they're reaching out to their to say this is no good
0: yeah do you expect the the democrats to vote on party lines on this or will there be any dissent within their ranks like i maybe it's fool fool's gold but i've always thought maybe joe uh, manchin would stand up to something like this um I'm not sure if he will at this so, point. Yes,
1: yeah, so I think if we look back, and obviously uh, Senator Manchin authored the Manchin-Toomey bill, which was a version of universal background checks. Um, interestingly, uh, Senator Toomey, who's who's retiring, he has you know, he has really nothing to lose at this point. He actually has come out and said that the the universal background check bill, as written, is not narrow enough in scope that he could support it. So I, I had a very difficult time thinking that Senator Manchin would be the same way. And I think kind of bills that we're looking at are going to be very difficult for some, the very few senators who are kind of still center senators to, to be able to explain to their states and their voters uh, as to why, especially the states with very strong Second Amendment traditions. The so West Virginia, you talked about Senator Manchin. Mm-hmm. Also Senator Heinrich in, in New Mexico and Senator Sinema in, in Arizona and Senator Tester up in Montana. These are states with very strong Second Amendment traditions and people are very concerned about these issues. And I think that uh, for uh, Senator Schumer and others to, to take their vote for granted would be, you know, a fool's errand. Uh, and uh, I think that's going to take some convincing from their part. But I just don't I don't see them coming out immediately and fully embracing exactly what's being put before them. But I think it's mm-hmm. also important why we need to make sure that voters are involved and in, in reaching out to the senators to say that this is no good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, interesting stuff. Uh, Mark, I certainly do appreciate it. You've pr- provided a lot of insights and knowledge on uh, both of these topics that we've talked about today. So I appreciate that. Uh, if yeah, folks want to, to uh, support, well, it's a trade. It's the, I don't know how, if the common folk can support the NSFF, but yeah, I,
1: I tell you the, the best way that you can support the NSSF is by supporting your local retailer. Your local retailer really is the heart and, and soul of this industry Uh, And most of your gun shops are still mom and pop shops on the corner of of your local community. Uh, Certainly big box retailers are are big, but, uh, but it really is those, those uh, small retailers that are taking care of you every day. So make sure that you're supporting them Uh, and really grow the sport, grow, grow who we are as, as gun owners and recreational shooters and hunters. And that's, uh, you can, you can look us up at NSSF's Plus one movement. Uh, And that's our challenge to every gun owner, to, to every, a recreational shooter and every hunter is to grow one more person just like you this year. Make a promise to yourself that you're going to take someone else into the woods with you uh, to learn about how to hunt or to reactivate somebody who hasn't been hunting for years. Or if you don't hunt and you're a recreational shooter and you love to target shoot, take someone else with you and let them experience what you're at. I'm, I'm, I'm always that kind of guy. I'll t- I'm like, listen, first trip to the range is on me. I'll pay for it. I'll buy the ammo. You can shoot my guns. And let's be honest, we have never, I'll probably be the same. I have never taken anybody to the range who hasn't walked away, smile. So, right. you know, take someone out and let them experience what you're doing. That's, that's the best way that you can support the industry. And, and, you know, support your retailers and your manufacturers that you love. Right on.
0: Right on. Well, great stuff today. Thanks again for your time. And uh, I'm sure that we'll visit again somewhere on down the road.
1: Yeah, please do. Love
0: to do it. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Gabe. All right, there he goes. Mark Oliva of the NSSF. Uh, great stuff there. That segment of the presentation brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Fusion Wireless Cell Camera. When you talk about bang for your buck, the Fusion beats them all. Affordable. And uh, not only is the camera affordable, but data plans, which you also get through the Stealth Cam platform, are as cheap as $5 a month. Check it out. It's the Fusion. You can find it at stealthcam.com. Coming up next, we check in with our old friend Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms right here on SCI's Star Outdoor.
1: I'm just lucky to have
0: Hey guys, Cable here for QuietCat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. QuietCat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a QuietCat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, QuietCat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit quietcat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info.
1: Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor
0: ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Steve Earl bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks for dropping by. We're going to continue the firearm discussion on today's show. Episode, what is this, 572 now? Wow. Uh, and we'll do that with Mossberg's Linda Powell, longtime friend of the program. Uh, but before we jump into that conversation, this segment Brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy with locations in San Antonio and Marion, Texas. Uh, Those are both in the hill country. Uh, Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of me for over a decade, whether that's a full-body black bear mount. uh, They're working on my wolf right now. Uh, Speckled trout from the Texas coast, largemouth bass, ducks, whitetail, you name it. Full African safaris. They do it all. They do amazing work and offer quick turnaround time. Plus, they answer the phone when you call. You can find them at gr 8 mounts.com. And with that being said, let's bring on our next guest, Linda Powell, Mossberg Firearms. Always great to talk to you.
2: Yeah, good morning. Glad to see you again as well. It's
0: a pleasure, pleasure. So how has your spring been? And uh, and are you going to get to go bear hunting? Ah. Uh. <laughs> well, we'll start
2: with that. I just got the disappointing news yesterday that it's probably not going to happen. Obviously, you know I go to Canada every spring, mm. and uh, it doesn't look like the border is going to open. So didn't make it last year. Not going to this year. Um, mm. The good news is that gives those bears two years to grow. So I'm assuming next year will be an awesome year to go up there.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's disappointing. I I got the uh, same news on my uh, uh. British Columbia black bear hunt on uh, Vancouver Island uh, where this is like the third time it's been postponed. So it's just, uh, man, I don't know. It's crazy to think that one can go to Africa, but one can't go to Canada.
2: Exactly. Hey, I did come down to Texas though last week. How was Uh, it down down in the McAllen area? Turkey hunting.
0: Did you get a gobbler?
2: I sure did. Awesome. It was tough hunting. I, you know, I think maybe that cold snap that came through kind of delayed everything for the spring they were still really in big groups um not very responsive to calling but mm-hmm. uh we we did pretty well and uh, and I was actually shooting the 410 first time that I've turkey oh, wow. hunted the 410
0: nice <laughs> that's awesome yeah i am heading down there in uh let's see next weekend a weekend after easter so yeah um
2: it should, should be perfect i got a report that uh, the group after us have a little more success. They were a little more responsive. So your timing should be just right.
0: I can't wait. Absolutely can't wait. So let's talk about what we're seeing in the marketplace right now. Are people still buying guns at the crazy rate that they have been over, say, well, starting with this time last year when we had um societal issues, BLM, plus you throw in a, a pandemic, Uh, has that started, has that trend started to slow down or are we kind of still on the same path that we've been on?
2: We don't see any slowdown at all. Uh Um, and you know, I I've been in the business for close to 25 years now, and I've never seen a spike like this that's sustained as long as it has. And we're hitting milestones in company history that we never have before, as far as like number of guns on order and backlogs. Um, and, you know, we get feedback from our uh, dealers and retailers, and they're telling us that they're not sensing any slowdown at all either. And if you go into a local store, uh, you're seeing that your, yeah. your options are slim to none.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess this new administration probably just is, you know, fuel, adding fuel to the fire with what they've publicly said you know, we've got HR8 on the table. It's sitting in the Senate right now. Uh, universal background checks. And uh, I'm wondering, You know, Biden said he's going to reenact the uh, assault weapons ban. So are ARs flying off the shelves even faster or are they back ordered to the point where it, it doesn't make any difference?
2: You know, I, I think what we're seeing, it doesn't make any difference, at least from my perspective. You know, uh-huh. that's one category that we build. Maybe if you were just strictly an AR manufacturer, you may have a better feel for that. But we're finding all, across our, all of our categories, it doesn't seem to matter what gun, what platform, they're all selling. You know, what we see is someone goes in with the intention of maybe they want to buy a shotgun for home defense. But when they get in there and all there is is a turkey gun or a waterfowl shotgun, they'll buy those. Uh-huh. Same thing. Maybe they go in with the idea of getting a handgun, and there aren't any available, so they buy a shotgun. So I, I think it's like I said, a scenario that we've not really seen before.
0: It's uh, interesting. And you said, and so I've got my my turkey gun right here. Yes, sir. And you said that you can't get these right now due to the fact that they're also being, you know, purchased at a accelerated rate for home defense.
2: You know, what's interesting is, you know, obviously part of my job is I put together media hunts and and take you guys out in the field for trips. I'm even finding it difficult for me to find guns for those hunts, much less finding the ammunition. So now it's a matter of kind of going out and sourcing what ammunition can I find? and yep. then trying to locate guns. So uh, it's it's definitely challenging right now.
0: <laughs> I, I was going to, that was my next question. Is it caliber specific? Like, are there certain calibers that are in higher demand because you can find ammo?
2: Well, I think that's, you know, what I'm hearing, some of this is just, you know, I'm hearing secondhand, but I think what happens is people are going in now and whatever they see on the shelf, as far as ammunition, that's what they're trying to purchase as far as guns. So some of the more obsolete ones probably are your better choices right now. All the popular calibers, whether it's centerfire rifle or handgun, um, they're just not, not available. Mm-hmm. And same thing, you know, shotguns, you know, taking a a little challenging to find four ten ammunition. You know, right. probably the better choice would have been 12 gauge, but uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's in short demand too.
0: I mean, this all came to a head for me. I was at a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation banquet in Fort Worth on Friday. They're doing the live auction and they had a $4,000 Weatherby custom, you know, high-end Weatherby gun there. Right. Well, it was a 6.5 Weatherby um, RPM. That gun went for $1,000 because everyone was like, how are we going to get ammo for that? And if we do find it, it's going to be $200 a box. (laughs) Exactly. So nobody wanted to buy it. I mean, I
2: hadn't thought of it from that perspective, but it that does become challenging for fundraising efforts.
0: Yeah, it's almost for,
2: like you need to put together the package of the firearm with the ammunition.
0: Right, right. Let's talk about the the new the 940 auto loading platform semi auto. Yes. Um, this will replace the 835, the 935. I know you guys are very excited about this. It is available for in like in the um, competitive shooting or you know i would call skeet or clay shooting realm right now but still not uh available for for hunting purposes
2: correct let me just correct one thing it's actually not going to be replacing the 835 because that's our pump action oh sorry yeah that's all right it'll be replacing we'll we'll be eventually phasing out the 930 line as we introduce the Uh new 940 and currently you're right we only have the 940 jm pro which is the competition gun but um Might have been field testing uh, last week when we were turkey hunting uh, to a 940 field gun. Uh, So I anticipate that as we roll into fall season, definitely waterfowl, we should have some field versions of the gun available. Um, And I think when I'm two things that I'm really excited about, well, maybe two plus, but the, the two features that I really love is, first of all, it has a new gas operating system that's somewhat self-cleaning because it has.
0: Linda, I and, hate cleaning my guns so Oh, oh me too.
2: <laughs> well, you know, my favorite line, and I probably have told you this before, I love working for a gun company. When my gun gets dirty, I just turn it in and get another one. I, I, <laughs> I was cleaning guns. But um, this is such an improvement because auto loaders tend to be kind of finicky anyway and require maintenance more so than pump actions. And our recommend recommendations on the 930 was about after 250 rounds, you probably should clean the gun. We're saying now that with the new 940, you'll be able to go up to as much as 1500 rounds.
0: Oh my god! Uh, before
2: needing to clean, so that to me is a bonus.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: The other thing, I'm a little bit shorter in stature, and uh, traditional length of pull is just too too long for me. And many semi-autos, our 930s, one of them. Some of the uh, recoil system, the springs are in the stocks. You're not able to shorten them, but they redesigned the system. So the 940 actually has an adjustable length of the stock. So that's a bonus too. You can go from 13 to 14 and quarter inches. Um, it's also adjustable for, for uh, drop and cast. So you really can pretty much custom fit uh, the gun to you.
0: Well, so what is the other pump? So, there's the 835. Then you have the, is it the 500? What is the 500? You...
2: So our pump categories are the 500, which is the 12 gauge, three inch. Right. The 835 is the 12 gauge, three and a half inch.
0: Which is what my turkey, my turkey gun here is. is based yes, and you've got my
2: favorite, the tactical turkey.
0: Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I
2: I've been shooting that for years. I, I finally gave it up this year, but I've been shooting the the 20 gauge version, the 500. Mm-hmm. But I love that adjustable stock. Um, it's a little bit lighter weight too, which I like when you're you know. Really hoofing it across the field. Um, carrying the 12 gauge is a little heavier, but that tactical stock and setup makes it a little bit lighter. But uh, yeah, my, my favorite gun.
0: My so, my first turkey I ever killed, like, oh, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago, I borrowed, I had to borrow my buddy's 535. Um, right. Um, because I wanted something with a three and a half inch capability, and I didn't have anything that I could do that with. Um, so he's like, here's the deal. You can borrow it. You cannot clean it. He's like, I've never cleaned it and I'm not starting now. Don't fix it if it's not broken. So uh, yeah, I shot my first turkey with that thing. And um yeah, he, he's, he's used it as a boat paddle. I mean, he dropped it in the mud. He's like, don't clean it. It's never been cleaned. I don't want to start now.
2: That's the so. beauty of pump action. They are so reliable. And I, you know, I, I've, I've heard those, stories of using them to paddle boats quite a few times, even retrieving them off the, the bottom of the lake, you know, when someone's yeah. dropped it in and they still work. So if you're looking yeah. for reliability, you can't go wrong there.
0: Yeah. And that's, so is that the, um, how long has the 500 been around?
2: Oh, well, we celebrated uh, 50 years. Let's see, back in uh, about five years ago. So okay. we're at about 55 years now wow. and over 11 million produced. Awesome. Awesome. So, there are a lot of five hundreds out there in, in various configurations, but you know I think that speaks volumes to how reliable, dependable, and it's it's an affordable option for a lot of people too, and the versatility because you start switching out barrels and you can really have one gun that does it all.
0: Mm-hmm. I saw this stat, this meme the other day. It said so. I guess the U.S. population is like five percent of the global population, and the meme was like. We only own 45% of private firearms. These numbers suck. We need to get those up. So. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. <laughs> why is the 9 uh, millimeter seem to be... I mean, that seems to be like if you were trying to get a pistol, that might be the one you can get. You can still get ammo. And I know the U.S. military has been using the um, Beretta 9 millimeter since I think 1986 is when they signed that contract. And for me, like I like 45 and I thought the 45 was like inching up there. But when, what we've seen throughout this pandemic is no, it's all back to nine millimeter.
2: And it actually started even before the pandemic, because when we started doing our research um, before we got back into handguns, looking at the MC one and the MC two research showed that, you know, the nine millimeter has really been gaining popularity for probably the last four or five years, Uh uh, if not more so. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with, Developments in ammunition. Uh, there's really been tremendous improvements there. And so it's kind of a trade off. You get a little bit less recoil. It's more comfortable for people to shoot the nine millimeter, but you're not really losing much in performance. And I think that's really key in handguns. You know, you've got to be comfortable shooting it. And I think as we have more um, first time newer uh, gun owners, if you have women use, uh, or, you know, I fit into this category, being a woman and being older, um, you know, just the comfort of shooting, um, you know, a nine millimeter for me and being able to, to manipulate the gun. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it really has grown in popularity. But I think it's like anything else. You see calibers become more popular. Look what's happened with the 6.5 on the, the rifle side. Right. Um, you know, why does a particular gun or caliber gain popularity? You know, it's, it's hard to say, but you kind of see the momentum build and it knocks off some of the longstanding old cartridges. So,
0: yeah. Well, like the first handgun I ever purchased years ago was a 40 Cal. Right. And that one, it seems to be like caught in between the, the nine and the 45. And it's kind of been, you know, left by the wayside a little yes, bit.
2: Exactly, Exactly.
0: Yeah. So I think that's one of them that uh, has gone the opposite direction. Um, I wanted to tell you briefly, and, and a lot of the listeners have already heard about my buffalo hunt, but the uh, 375 Ruger yes. uh, Patriot that you I saw picture, you pictures, so
2: i definitely want to hear about it.
0: Yeah, oh, it was awesome. I know you've taken buffalo, and um, it was it was surreal. It was everything that I'd hoped it would be. Old bull by himself, you know, um, hard bossed, and that animal was the toughest animal that I've ever I've ever shot. Had to shoot him four times. Every shot connected. And he still ran 200 yards and we were running after him, yeah. which, uh, the pH was like, I have two, two ways. I do it. If I can see the Buffalo, we're running after him. If he goes into the thick stuff, we're, <laughs> we're going to wait a while. Yeah. So
2: I, I don't know of any hunt that's more exciting because you, you realize, like you said, such a massive animal, their strength. Like you said, you shot him four times and he didn't go down, mm-hmm. you know, that's, uh, that was
0: 1200 problem. grains that he ate and, yeah it's yeah. just
2: incredible. And I've had the experience of where they disappear and you get to go kind of look for them. And there is nothing that just takes your breath away more than that. I'm telling you, your heart's pounding. Uh-huh. You no, know, every sense that you have is on high alert, but uh, they're an incredible animal. And, and I'm glad you glad you got one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the gun, you know, performed flawlessly and I uh, was very excited to, to be able to find ammunition for that. Uh, <laughs> So thanks to thanks to Hornady for for helping me out there. Um, as we wrap up here, and I, I might be putting you on the spot. I don't know, but uh, I believe I know. I know. <laughs> uh, I believe there there's some noise that maybe we're going to be expanding the pistol lineup as well.
2: Yeah, you know. Um, we're definitely in that category now. There's no question about it. And we really have been extremely pleased with how well the MC one and MC two have been received. And uh, I think this fall, we might be ready to expand on that category. So you're just going to have to be patient and wait.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I am sorry that you're not going to get to go bear hunting this fall. I mean, this spring, neither am I, Uh, but congratulations on your Turkey down here in Texas.
2: Thank you. I'm gonna to head to Mexico in a few weeks too, and try to try to get a ghoul's turkey.
0: Okay, what part of uh what part of Mexico is uh, that? Sonora. Okay, right on. I think uh, do they have coos deer there? They do. Okay, I'm, buddy's I'm, trying to get me on a go on a coos deer hunt with him next December, and I'm kind of like.
2: I would highly recommend that uh, this ranch that I hunt turkeys on has uh, coos deer as well, and I've done that hunt a few times, and it's absolutely. One of my favorite hunts.
0: Yeah. It's such a little deer. I mean, like 120 inch coos deer is like you're going in the record book type. Deal. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy coming from Texas whitetail hunting, but uh, certainly a different species, one that you can pursue, I guess, kind of like mule deer hunting in the mountains and stuff.
2: Right. It's very optics intensive. You're going to spend a lot of time glassing and you're just looking like for, you know, they bed down, you're looking like for a flick of an ear just a a, a little something in the landscape that looks different. And then most of the time, a long shot, occasionally you'll get an opportunity to stalk a little bit closer, but it's definitely that three to 500 yard shots pretty common.
0: Yeah. Um, I also wanted to say that despite the, the uh, perceived gun shortage, well, just can't keep up with the uh, demand. Uh, we're we're still going to give away a few guns this year. so
2: Yes, we are. So stay yeah. tuned for that.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, we will keep you in the loop on that. Linda, thank you so much for your time today. Always great to visit with you.
2: You too. Good luck on your turkey hunt.
0: Thank you, ma'am. There she goes. Linda Powell, Mossberg Firearms. Uh, always a treat to talk guns with Linda. And uh, equally as fun to be in camp with her, we did a teal hunt down around uh, El Campo, Texas, a couple of years ago with Mossberg and Kent Cartridge, and she fits right in with the guys, uh, still very much a lady, uh, but has been doing this a long time, kind of, uh, you know, an OG or a pioneer for women in the firearm industry, so uh, someone that I respect. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Ad Credit, you know, land, the one thing... They ain't making any more of. We all want it though, right? Whether that's to hunt and trap, to fish, to run cattle, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers for over a hundred years. They'll help you finance your own piece of paradise as well. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Fortunately, just looking at the time, we got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to both of our guests today, Mark Oliva of the National Shooting Sports Foundation, as well as Linda Powell of Mossberg. Uh, We'll do it again, same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying you all have a great week in the outdoors.